Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Good morning on this March the 4th, 2022. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. For those of you listening on the Faith Radio app everywhere around the world, good morning, good morning, good morning to you. If you are um, brand new with us, um, welcome. Here's what we're doing. We are taking the headline news of the day. We are seeking to apply the mind of Christ to the matters of the day in order that we as Christians can walk our faith out into the world that God so loves in ways that honor Jesus. So I am, um, I'm hopeful um, that in this time that we have to spend together, that you will genuinely feel not only the grace of God in Jesus Christ, which, right, I mean, his mercies are new every morning, and we need that. I need that. But that you will also feel um, encouraged and equipped to be a Christian in the world today. Not No small task, no small um, undertaking, no small commission, uh, and fortunately, we don't do it by ourselves. We do it by the very power of God's Holy Spirit dwelling within us, and we do it uh, in co-mission with Christ and with one another. So if you thought you were alone in all of this, um, trust me, you are not. You are not. Let's catch up on the headlines related to Ukraine before um, before we bring into conversation this morning Eric Mock. Eric works with uh, the Slavic Gospel Association. He has some stories to share with us from what is happening on the ground in Ukraine and surrounding uh, surrounding areas. So let me uh, give you an update here on what's happening. Russia's invasion of Ukraine is now entering its second week. That is a little bit hard to believe, um, and yet true nonetheless. Frustrated by uh, the first week, uh, Putin, it seems, has ratcheted up the intensity uh, of, of attacks throughout Ukraine. A second round of ceasefire negotiations yesterday uh, came and went without any resolution to the broader conflict. They did uh, claim that they agreed to, quote, establish humanitarian corridors and a possible temporary ceasefire to allow Ukrainian civilians to evacuate. We will see um, whether or not that uh, that promise holds. Um, it seems that Russian ground forces remain largely stalled in northern Ukraine while the bombardment of Kiev uh, Chernhahiv and Kharkiv, you know I have a hard time with the pronunciation, so I just apologize in advance, um, uh, while the bombardment of those cities uh, continues. German officials confirmed on Thursday that Germany is going to add 2,700 Soviet-made surface-to-air rockets to its shipments to Ukraine, already having approved sending 1,000 anti-tank missiles and 500 stingers early this week. If you are looking for um, action by the U.S. Congress on the president's uh, uh, quest for $10 billion in aid, including additional lethal aid. Well, that won't be happening this weekend because Congress has taken a long weekend holiday, uh, failing to take action on the president's request before they 
left D.C. Um, I know you can be frustrated with that. I am. Um, We have uh, continued action by international and U.S. companies and um, and this from Homeland Security. This is a major uh, move by the U.S. government. Uh, Homeland Security announced on Thursday that the Biden administration is granting temporary protected status. Now, we have talked about the different status of um, of people who seek asylum or people who are officially refugees under the United Nations. This is temporary protected status. This is TPS. You've heard me talk about it before in relationship to other groups of people. So we are going to grant temporary protected status to Ukrainians currently in the United States illegally or non on, on non-immigrant visas. So anybody that was already, let's say, traveling here or on a student visa, they are now um, under a temporary protected status here in the United States. The move is going to shield about 30,000 people already here in the United States from deportation for at least the next uh, 18 months. They're here on work or student or travel visas. So as the number of Ukrainian uh, displaced people continues to rise, I'm hesitant to use the word refugees in relationship to all of them because that's a particular status. But more than a million people have fled the country and some 200 Ukrainian civilians um, have died thus far uh, during the conflict. So um, even uh, even as the world universally or almost universally condemns the actions of uh, Vladimir Putin in relationship to the invasion of Ukraine, uh, the invasion persists. And so it continues to lead the storyline and lead our prayer concerns as well. Joining us next, Eric Mock. He's the vice president of ministry operations for the Slavic Gospel Association. He's going to share with us some stories of local churches on the ground in Ukraine. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. Continuing our conversation about the plight of the people of Ukraine and the surrounding region. Joining us now, Eric Mock. He is vice president of ministry operations for Slavic Gospel Association. You can find them at sga.org. Eric, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. Glad to be with you. Okay, so um, let's let's start with um, a pronunciation key. You just taught me something um, there in our very brief break. When there is a second H, uh, I am supposed to pronounce it as a... More like a G. Uh, uh, you you would hear something like alcohol is alcohol. Uh, so it's uh, it's it's. <laughs> I'm not a Russian, <laughs> so this is this is a blind leaving the leading the blind. My pronunciations are weak. If it's not with a C, uh, you you don't smell like ch. So the city is Cherniga. Uh, you are doing well. You know, uh, one of the reminders uh, we're we're wrestling with language. This goes all the way back to Babel. Uh, you know, we're separated by language, separated by uh, geography, but faithful believers, faithful believers in Ukraine and actually across Russia, Poland, in all places, we're united in one heart and one hope through Jesus Christ. And that is most important. Amen. Um, why don't you tell us some stories today? I mean, you you are talking with people who are um, on the ground in Ukraine and in Russia and in the surrounding region. And you have some stories for us in relationship to the way the church is responding. And we'd love to hear those stories. 
Well, context. Uh, let me let me briefly give you context. I have walked through these villages. I have been in these cities, and Ukraine is beautiful. Uh, the uh, the sunflowers uh, that you see in the fields, uh, it's like a town you might see in America maybe 50 years ago. Uh, the technology outside of Kiev is not great. Just uh, just a joy to be with the people. There's 2,265 uh, what they term Baptist Union churches or Ukrainian Baptist churches. These are faithful Bible teaching churches that we work with. Uh, over 104 missionaries supported by SGA, and and even since 2014 in the in the war zone of eastern Ukraine, uh, there were these faithful churches where most of the churches had emptied out because of the conflict that was going on in the east, and they filled back up. I remember walking into a Bible study there just outside Donetsk, and this was oh just a couple less than a couple months ago, and all of the ladies were in there were smiling, and I walked in, I said, "Why are you smiling?" Uh, I, I mean, there was nothing there. The infrastructure is destroyed, uh, hardship. And they said, because uh, Pastor Oleg had come in and and he ministered to our hearts and we have turned to Jesus in faith and and we're smiling because we have hope. And so you, you see that. And now, of course, as you had mentioned entering the second week, uh, I heard last night the statement from a pastor at the seminary. He said, it seems... Uh, that Putin has uh, unlocked the cages and let the animals run free, and uh, the residential buildings are being shelled. Uh, I've seen pictures uh, of of cities such as in Urpin, uh, where there's substantial destruction of residential community. So on the other side, you have that background where we see in the news everything, the destruction. On the other side, we see faithful believers that run right into danger. They they minister to soldiers on the front line. Uh, they gather for worship uh, on the SGA website. You'll see a picture that I that we posted, and if not, you can see it on the SGA Facebook, uh, where believers gather together in a basement and worship. It's almost unthinkable in our day, especially in America, where we uh, we we seem to uh, date the church. We look for churches to have the certain trimmings and atmosphere we love, but. You know, when bombs are coming down and there's running gunfighting in the street, they gather together in the basement. They're on their knees praying, uh, grateful to God for their life, grateful to God for the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ, grateful for the privilege to sing praises to him. Five people, broken basement, uh, pastors standing on a crate, you know, and this is downtown, outside of downtown Kiev. And 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 they're and they're preaching and they're and they're worshiping. It reminds us of the simplicity of this. Or a seminary that SGA supports, where they uh, heard that at a hospital there was a need for bread, and they had planned students that didn't come because of the fighting. So they baked bread and took it to a hospital, literally weaving through all the streets where there's burnt out uh, husks of tanks and armored personnel carriers and and literally bodies in the street and they make it to the hospital with bread and then they come back and and uh, uh they really didn't think anything would come from it and then someone showed up the next morning on a motorcycle it's freezing outside but they were on a motorcycle and they hung a big white bag on the fence and they thought it might be a bomb or something so they poked it with a stick and tried to find out what was going on it was a giant bag full of medicine mm. hospital had taken care of them and and so when they were vessels of grace in the community, uh, people responded. 
And we have seen during the pandemic, we have seen uh, during the fighting since 2014, that when it's the worst of times, it can also be the best of times. Mm-hmm. Eric, God, um, we're, sorry. no, no, you're totally fine. We want to hear more of what you have to share with us. And let me um, direct our listeners to your website. We are talking with Eric Mock from Slavic Gospel Association, SGA.org. For those of you who have been texting in and calling in and asking, you know, who's who's on the ground um, in Ukraine, in Russia, in these surrounding uh, regions? Who, With whom can we pray? With whom can we co-labor? Where can we give? Uh, you know, knowing that it's just going to be in direct partnership with churches on the ground in this region. Um, we don't know of a better partner than SGA. So SGA.org, if you bring up their website, you're going to see um, just right there on the home screen uh, an opportunity for you to connect with them. And you're going to get to read um, stories uh, of how uh, you know outreach is really happening right now, not only to churches, but through Uh, Christians in the region to people in need. So we are going to continue our conversation with Eric Mock in just a moment. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. With all that separates us by geography and language and even customs, we are united in Christ Jesus with our brothers and sisters, not only in Ukraine, but in Russia and throughout the region. We have been wondering, you know, who is on the ground, who has relationships with local congregations, who knows the local pastors, um, uh, you know, with whom can we be praying and hearing news and partnering in ministry. And so I bring to you Eric Mock, the Vice President of Ministry Operations for Slavic Gospel Association. You can find them at SGA. Dot .org I'm currently on their Facebook page where you can read um you know you can read updates you can read prayer requests from local pastors you can see other interviews um and and conversations that Eric has been engaged in Eric um I I have sensed from these pastors not only are they on the front lines of meeting very emergent needs um of people in their communities but they are asking specifically for us to pray that God would use this as an openness for the gospel, that this would be an opportunity. Um, Are you sensing that God is finding himself a witness in the midst of all this? Oh, absolutely. I I think if this was a singular moment in time, it might be uh, difficult uh, to weed my way through. But what we have to remember is they stand on the shoulders of, of faithful brothers and sisters in Christ during the days of communism who were standing for their faith, even though they knew they could be drug out in the street and, and martyred for their faith. These were the people that listened to SGA radio broadcasts in the 50s and 60s and copied down the Bible at dictation speed so that they had at least one sheet of scripture. Carmen, so many of us have Bibles sitting around our house with dust on them. And you can't imagine that people would fight for one page of a Bible to read one psalm to encourage their souls. So I watched that, and I saw it in 2014 uh, when faithful believers would actually uh, stay in the fray of of the gun battles, hoping to lead someone to faith. I remember uh, Dimitri, a 23-year-old, who rushed into Adivka because there was no pastor there for the church, 
he dropped out of college so that he could go into the phrase so that he could help lead the youth and and deliver food to people that were under bombardment and and he did that and and then during the pandemic i remember even an ambulance driver that was celebrating uh in the midst of the pandemic because everyone that was ill in the ambulance that he had to take to the hospital he could share the gospel with them and he himself got sick and so now here in the middle of god has now brought uh, another crucible affliction uh, to the slavic people really uh to all of us in the world uh, what we see is another opportunity for the gospel when we don't dwell on the hardship but we dwell on christ we see that god has created an opportunity and drawing us closer to him and so we see this and uh, one thing i wanted to, to add is that sga part of what we're doing is we're we're rushing aid to the churches we're we're not beside the church or we don't have our own initiatives we're actually we've been serving the churches uh since 1934 and and so now in the middle of this conflict we didn't have to do anything special we just get behind the ones god has raised up and we already had that process running so aid is already running to uh over over 1400 families have now seen aid through local churches and and we're now seeing that in poland and so I wanted to add this story that hopefully I think you can see on our Facebook page where refugees that made it all the way to Poland found a, a Polish Baptist church and the church moved all their pews against the side and set up cots throughout the uh, sanctuary. And I, I kind of asked myself, you know, what about worship? And all the people brought their kids in, they kind of unpacked, they, they got some food and and then they just stood there next to the cots and they began worshiping. They were singing and worshiping and praising God for his incredible grace. There they were with nothing but the clothes on their back and food given through the generosity of others. And they worshiped. So we see faithful believers from coast to coast all over gathering together. And we see that here in the U.S. Uh, we see faithful believers saying, how can I help and how can I be a part of this? We've begun uh, uh, online classes and biblical counseling, then crisis counseling, and we're providing that via Zoom to uh, believers there. Mm -hmm. So we we uh, training and and food aid, and and we're going to get Bibles to them, and we're going to uh, and and support them, and we're video calling uh, around the clock. It's been since this started, uh, letting them know to stay strong, to stay in the fight, to proclaim Christ uh, until He comes again. So, Eric, um, I, I know that we have a young man um, named Darius listening today. He's been a Christian for um, uh, just a year. And so when I, and I'm going to guess, I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that um, Darius doesn't know what the word Slavic means. He just yearned, yearned, learned a year ago what the word gospel means. Um, and and he recognizes that his heart is now knit together with people, uh, believers in Christ, fellow believers in Christ of every time and place. Um, what does the word Slavic mean so that Darius and others can understand why you operate not only in Russia, but in the former Soviet countries of Eastern Europe? Well, actually, it's uh, Slavic is an ethnic term uh, that goes a long ways back. It speaks to the people of uh, the easiest for us to think about, the people of the former Soviet Union, the people of, of Russia. And Russia itself spans 11 and a half time zone. It's three times as big as the United States with half the population. And inside Russia itself are 350 people groups. So when SJ was formed in 1934, there was a specific focus on the Slavic people, which were the people 
a Russian-speaking people of, of, of the ethnicity of, of those that we would call the former Soviet Union, but now uh, so many different voices, uh, like the Ukrainians uh, speaking Ukrainian language or Cossacks. So the, the term Slavic now has become uh, a little bit broader, but when for us Americans, it's easy just to think the countries of the former Soviet Union on the other side of the world. But even in that, there are so many people groups now. Yeah, that's just so helpful. It's helpful for people to understand. Um, now, again, like back to where we started, right? The words that we use, um, they mean something. And uh, it's really helpful to bring this conversation forward, especially for people who, you know, we don't often uh, spend a lot of time thinking about people who literally live half a world away. Um, and yet, we are one in the Spirit and one in the Lord. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's so precious that you are helping us to connect with them through SGA. So again, you guys want to check it out, sga.org. Um, Facebook is the best place to go um, and find SGA in terms of updated stories. But the sga.org website is the place where you can connect with other believers in prayer um, and in giving. So thank you, Eric, so much for joining us today on Mornings with Carmen. My joy, and thank you for your prayers. Those are most important. Much prayer, much power. Amen. Much prayer, much power. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. This is March the 4th, and um, one among us is marching forth. Dan DeWitt's actually on the road today, but still willing to join us from Theolatte.com. We used to call this the Weekend Worldview Reader, but now Dan just wants us to be worldview readers all the time. So now this is just the Worldview Reader update. So when you think about a worldview... Like, what comes to your mind? Like, so when I say worldview, I'm talking about the lens through which you view everything. It's it's whatever your totalizing system is. So my totalizing system is the gospel. It's the redemptive narrative of God in Jesus Christ. It spans all of time and every part of space, not just the space I inhabit in this time, but all of space. It's a cosmology. It's a, it's the way I understand the world and everything in it. Um, so my worldview, the lens through which I am Uh, talking with you right now, the lens through which I'm seeing the world, the lens through which I am interpreting the events of the day, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is your worldview? It's possible that your worldview is um, sexual revolutionaryism. I'm going to name it that. Um, It's possible that your worldview is all about you and your identity. It's possible that your worldview um, is very Eastern in terms of you view history as cyclical. Um, You don't believe in the nature of one true God. So your worldview is how you understand the world and everything in it. And you say to yourself, well, I don't know. I've never thought about my worldview. Well, that's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to think for a moment about the way you think about everything. So we're going to think about what we're thinking about, and we're going to think about how we're thinking about it. And then we're going to, uh, as Christians, 
we are going to explore the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments, asking God to renew our minds, that we would no longer be conformed to this world, but that we would be renewed in our minds, renewed in our worldview, that God would give us the very mind of Christ on the matters of this day. What's your worldview? How are you looking at things? And therefore, how are you thinking about things? And therefore, how are you living in these days? Next up, Dan DeWitt with our Worldview Reader. Joining us uh, again today, Dan DeWitt. He serves at Cedarville University, but he's on the road today, marching forth on this March the 4th. You can find what we're talking about at Theolatte. That's like God and coffee, theolatte.com. Dan, welcome back. It is great to be back. Good morning, Carmen. All right, what are you on the road doing today? Where are you headed and why? I'm headed to Louisville, Kentucky, and um, I have a couple meetings in town, and a dear friend of mine, um, Sam Alberry is there speaking at a church, so I get to grab lunch with him before I head back to Ohio. That is fantastic. There's a really good pie shop in Louisville. So if you're looking for dessert, I can't give you directions, but I've been there and all they serve is pie. So Ooh. I know I have I have that in mind. It's not very far from Southern Seminary, which is the way I discovered it. Okay, so um, new at Theo Latte is this week's Worldview Reader. We used to call it the uh, the I don't know, weekend worldview reader. But now we're yes. just calling it the worldview reader because we want people to be reading worldview stuff all the time. So um, I would like to uh, to jump in with you on this link that says starts with a bang. And so this is um, this is by a fellow uh, named Dan DeWitt. So um, that'd be you. Talk with us about uh, the website The Big Think and then talk with us about this um, – uh, this question or conversation about the world or the cosmos starting with a bang. Yeah, so shout out to your producer, to Paul, um, in the tundra land of Minneapolis, for introducing me to this website several years ago or at some point in the, in the finite past. And, um, I've really enjoyed it. So the big thing has is like a conglomerate of articles that are related to how people are thinking about reality. And we, whether or not we think about the way we think, as you mentioned before the break, um, we all do think about reality. And we've all had that experience of on the late summer night, <clears throat> sitting out with friends and looking up at the stars and kind of asking questions like, where did it all come from? Where's it all going? And so on this website, The Big Think, they have a channel that's called Starts With a Bang. And on it, They've said that all the articles on that particular channel on that website are related to these questions, and I list them out on the article. What is our universe made of? How did it become the way it is today? Where did everything come from? And what is the ultimate fate of the cosmos? And those four questions are really insightful. And so every person has thought about answers to that, whether or not they would describe themselves as an intellectual or the kind of person that reads science or philosophy, everybody asks those questions, and those are fundamental worldview questions. One of the things I appreciate, um, and again, if you're going to go check out uh, bigthink.com, 
Dan and I and Paul, we all want you to know it's not as if all these people are viewing these questions through a, a Christian worldview, through a redemptive worldview. This is the big thing. This is about the big questions and how people are thinking about the big questions. And it's a great opportunity for us to have a window into the way other people are thinking about the same things that we are thinking about. But they may be thinking about those things from a wildly different uh, or disparate worldview. Um, Dan, is that an, uh, an accurate, accurate way to describe what's happening at uh, BigThink.com? It absolutely is. And I think Christians of all people should really enjoy this kind of dialogue. Um, it, it's way more interesting to have a conversation with someone who has very different commitments than you, but they're actually thinking about how they think and why they have come to the conclusion they have. And so this website will help you see at least how someone who disagrees with you might answer the questions. And what I like to tell my students is the way you answer a question like, what is our universe made of? The way you answer that sets the parameters, it frames um, everything that follows. And so this is a question of um, really what is real. And so, for example, if you answer that question, um, the universe is merely made of matter and energy, um, time and space. And that's a pretty scientific um, answer to the question. We simply live in a material universe that consists of matter and energy, time and space, yada, yada, yada. Well, if that's what you believe is true about reality, then what do you do with all the immaterial values that we live for every day? Things like morality and justice and goodness and beauty, where do those immaterial values come from? And so that, I, what I hope to illustrate with that is if you say, oh, there's nothing but matter and energy, then you have to say that the immaterial values that we live for, like love, um, that those are illusions. And so these questions are important, and if we're trying to be consistent, we'll see that how we answer those questions actually limits what we could call a real human value, the kind of things that we spend every day living for. I have a lot of conversations with um uh, one person in my house in particular who's always interested in uh, a character's origin story or because she likes fantasy, right, she's interested in the origin story of a particular, you know, universe that a writer has created in their imagination and put on the printed page. Um, the origin story matters. Why? Well, first of all, it matters because if if God has revealed himself in Scripture, then God said something about it. And so it's not something that Christians are just indifferent to and saying science will answer all the questions. Um, however, um, Christians don't believe that the Bible is a scientific textbook. And so the Bible says how, that God created the world. It may not answer every question we have about the material universe. And so the origin story is important because we know just merely from science the universe had a beginning. The Bible tells us that it began with God, a personal and powerful and loving source, and that really makes a difference in day-to-day. -day. Does, does history have meaning? You mentioned before an Eastern view that would say history is cyclical. It's not really headed anywhere. It doesn't have any overarching meaning. Um, we would say, no, the universe looks the way it is today, and there's things like the horrors that are happening in Ukraine perpetuated by Putin um, today. There are things like that today in the world because there's a human tendency towards um, moral anarchy, <laughs> There's a human tendency towards wanting our own way to achieve it at whatever means necessary. Is that simply how the world should be? Well, no, the Christian would come back and say something fundamentally has happened to
to our heart and to our relationships with each other, our relationship with God. And that's where the origin story from a Christian perspective would make sense of this longing to know God and also this horror of sin and selfishness that we see even in the headlines and, to be honest, looking back at us from the mirror every day. I um, This is a question that is like cultural in context, Dan, um, because this conversation about you know, how the universe began, how it all started, even people who point to the Big Bang, there is something there to bang with. Like there's there's yeah. there's there's heat. There's some kind of matter, although it's dark matter. Like, right. Something is there before anything else is there. Um, Lady Gaga, not a person who, you know, you would like think would be referenced at the Big Think. But she's referenced in relationship to this because Lady Gaga uh, claims well, it must have just been born this way. When you think of something being yeah. born, don't you think of something being born from or of something else or in particular someone? I mean, isn't even the answers to the question point to the reality of a creator? Yeah, and that's where sometimes people will think um, there was a theoretical physicist named Lawrence Krauss who several years ago published a book called A Universe from Nothing. And he argued that the universe just created itself. And a professor at Columbia University named David Alberts wrote a response to Lawrence Krauss in the New York Times. And he said, you know, the problem with Krauss's book is that it it actually believes something pre-existed before the universe. And Lawrence Krauss, when forced to describe what the nothing is that created everything, says that it was a bubbling, broiling brew of virtual particles. Well, you may say the universe came from nothing, but if by nothing you mean something, then you still not answered the question. So where did that come from? And David Albers, this atheist, points out Lawrence Krauss's book, even though it's big on bravado and making this really strong atheistic claim, it actually doesn't describe where everything comes from. Lawrence Krauss admits he doesn't know where the intelligible laws that govern the universe come from. And then finally, David Alberts, an atheist, again at Columbia University, says that Lawrence Krauss's book is really an attack on religion disguised as a scientific theory. And that's far more common today than most people recognize. And those are all worldview situations where we just need to make sure we're thinking critically about what we're reading. And as a Christian, we may feel like we're on the, you know, we have weak arguments. At the end of the day, we have a claim that explains where the world came from and the way the world is today. And I think it's a pretty compelling um, explanation. All right. We're talking with Dan DeWitt. You can find uh, what we're talking about at theolatte.com. After this conversation about starts with a bang, I am interested in your, um, your take on this piece in the Wall Street Journal. There is no faith crisis on campus. Have you wondered whether or not college students um, are experiencing a crisis of faith or whether or not there is a crisis of faith on college campuses? That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. It's often argued that higher education uh, is the environment in which Christians lose their faith. Um, There is now good reason to believe that's just not true. Uh, Ryan Burge has 
aggregated research over 12 years from Harvard University, and he makes the point in the Wall Street Journal. Dan DeWitt picks up on that. You can find it at theolatte.com. Dan, make the argument that there's no crisis of faith on college campuses. Well, I, I have to tell you, I was a bit shocked when I saw this because, you know, you often see research, research that emphasizes um, the, the reality that people's faith is challenged. But one of the things that Ryan Burge talks about in the book, and Ryan Burge is a professor at Eastern Illinois University, and he's also a pastor in the area, so he's writing, and a parent, so he's writing, you know, with these kind of three um, hats, wearing these three different hats of professor, pastor, parent. Um, but he says that what we see is something like what's called the inoculation effect, that when people are exposed to weak arguments, they actually, it prepares them to better respond to stronger arguments when they encounter them. And so I shared this with a, a colleague after I saw the article. I, I took the, I bring the Wall Street Journal weekend edition to my work office, and I read the article. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. So I walked down the hall and shared it with a colleague, and he shrugged, and he said, well, I guess we're seeing the uh, effects of really weak arguments by people like Richard Dawkins back in the heyday of the new atheism that they didn't accomplish their purpose. That actually what they did is they gave people kind of a vaccine to weak arguments so that what we're seeing is people have a stronger understanding of why they believe what they believe. And the research at Harvard from the last 12 years shows that it's people with a lower education level that are more likely to say they don't believe in God. Speak to the person, Dan, who is um, just immediately resistant to this idea, Um, because I think that what we imagine is that if our uh, beliefs are challenged, that they won't hold up. And as a person who went to a very secular undergraduate institution and an equally secular seminary, I mean, I I went to the University of Florida and then I went to Princeton and um, I found people of genuine faith in both environments. And I probably found more genuinely evangelical Christians at the University of Florida, but it may be just by virtue of the fact that it's a really huge institution by comparison. And so um, I found, we had a conversation yesterday with Alyssa Childers, and I connect these two because both Alyssa and I encountered in academic environments what today people would describe as attempts to, quote, deconstruct our faith. And at Princeton in particular, what I experienced was one professor who was very interested in um, taking apart whatever faith you arrived with in order that, uh, you know, a branded version of the faith might be reconstructed and implanted in you that you might leave with that. And that didn't work in my case, right? I left as an evangelical, but I left as an evangelical with an incredibly um, full toolbox, related to secularism and the secular worldview and progressive Christianity and on and on and on. And now those conversations and those people don't scare me. Like, you can't, you pretty much can't come up with something that's going to rock me back because I've already been rocked back. You know, and that's really the point that that the author's making in this article, that, you know, you've been exposed to the arguments, you've thought through them, and you've thought through responses. And at the end of the day, you can't, force yourself to believe something you, you, you think is false. And so there's a reason you're still a Christian who believes God exists and who's revealed himself, and you have compelling reasons for holding that. And so in the same way, what, what Burge is arguing is that if we hear weak arguments, we're going to be better prepared for stronger ones. I want to flip that for a moment and say 
Um, yes, faith can flourish on the secular campus for all the reasons you, you just described and what you experienced. My fear, though, for Christian campuses is that we'll actually be the ones exposing weak arguments. And if we give a very narrowly fundamentalist, a very narrow scope of what the Bible teaches, and we're extremely dogmatic about this can be the only way, and we don't wrestle with the big decisions, we may be inoculating students, um, preparing them to be undone by strong arguments from other worldviews. Or not even strong arguments, just personal ones. That I would That's say, right. I would say that the most compelling um, weapon that non-believers have is is just simply an appeal to their own lived experience and the the cultural um, acquiescence to you know well, whatever uh, whatever Dan says about his own life and experience that must be true because that's Dan's truth and and who am I to say that Dan's truth you know isn't not only the not only his truth but the truth of the very universe okay well um that's not true like that's delusion um but i have to know the truth and i have to know the one who is the truth and i have to be able to say um dan i love you but but you're talking about something that is centered on you as if the entire universe revolves around you and if that's true then the universe revolves around every other individual on the planet in which case the universe has billions of centers and we just know that's not true because that won't hold that that's right and that's where i I love what dorothy sayer said years ago she said that um, christianity is first and foremost a statement about the nature of reality and what she's saying is that we are actually saying something about the world we're saying something that we believe is true now we all are looking at truth um, from a particular place um, so we do have a subjective element, but that doesn't mean there's not an objective reality. So Christianity is not first and foremost about kind of an internal feeling one has, but it's really about questions like, did Jesus really rise from the dead? And if he did, that's not something that is just a personal reality, like he rose from the dead in my heart. That's not what we're saying. And so these are questions about the objective nature, about what's true. And that brings us back to that website. What's the universe made of? Well, I believe it came from God. What's happened to it is that we've disobeyed God and that there's a gracious offer through the resurrection of Jesus for us to be reconnected with the purpose of the universe, which points back to God. Um, One of the things that you are pointing to there is uh, the gospel um, as a totalizing system. Like, it is a worldview. It is not just me and Jesus um, the gospel can't be and should not be reduced to, you know, just individual salvation. I think we miss that as well um, in our conversations often in evangelicalism. We miss the conversation about the breadth and depth and scope um, of the bigness of the gospel. Yeah, there's the, the Christian belief from the Bible is that there's this overarching story that we all find ourselves in. Um, so the Bible gives a framework to understand that story, to understand the world we live in, to understand our place in it. And the word we use to summarize, the the word Christians use to summarize the entire story of the Bible is the word gospel. And it's a lens through which the Christians should see everything. It doesn't mean that it's easy to wrestle with difficult questions, 
but it means at the end of the day we believe there are answers because God exists, he's personal, and he's revealed himself to us. That's Dan DeWitt. He is marching forth on this March the 4th. Um, travel mercies on you as you head to Louisville today. You can read more about what Dan and I just talked about at theolatte.com. You're looking for the Worldview Reader. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and this is Faith Radio. We are um, ambassadors of the king and the kingdom. We are walking our faith out into the world that God so loves, seeking to take back every square inch that the enemy um, thinks he, he has. So every human heart, every human life, every place, all time and space, Jesus wants it all. Jesus wants all of them. And we're going to talk in the next hour about having that kind of heart and joining Jesus in his mission in the world as co-missionaries. So think about yourself for just a moment um, as you, you know, find a reflective surface. Might be, might be your rearview mirror of your car if you're driving. It might be the bathroom mirror if you're getting ready for the day. Uh, it might be your phone, which is always um, close by and handy. Um, find a reflective surface and look at yourself for just a moment. Do you see an ambassador of the king in the kingdom? Do you see a co-heir with Christ? Do you know your inheritance? Um, Are you going to walk out your faith today in Jesus in a way that not only honors him, but visibly demonstrates the gospel to others? Let's march forth on this March 4th. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.